Hi, everyone, and welcome to Dead to Rights, the podcast. I'm your host, Donna Carrick. I've been missing an action for a little while. I took a bit of a break, as you may have noticed, but I'm back on the trail again and bringing you a terrific interview today. But before we get to it, I want to wish everyone in my home city of Toronto a very happy Pride weekend. The Pride history in Toronto is a really vast and diverse one. It began out of the 1981 riots that were caused by the bathhouse raids, and um, uh, hundreds of people that grew into thousands marched in the streets looking for rights for the LGBT community. And uh, it has a long history. It's now in its, I believe, 39th year with the Gay Pride uh, Week Parade, uh, culminating this weekend, in fact. And uh, it, it's just a wonderful thing. People have fought hard for their rights and, um, and, and for the general respect that they deserve. So kudos to everybody who's there. I wish I was there with you. I'm actually out of town this weekend. But I'm there with you in spirit, uh, flying the, the colors. Today we're bringing you an interview with Jim Bottomley. And Jim is the author of a thriller titled Hypnotizing Lions, which was a finalist for the Arthur Ellis Unpublished Unhanged Arthur Award this year. And uh, Jim was out at the Arthur Ellis Awards. He came in from British Columbia, from Vancouver Island, for the awards ceremony. And I was very pleased to see him there. We got to chatting. And uh, Jim indicated that he would be he would be willing to come on the program with me. So I'm thrilled to bring him to you. His book is a real rollick, so I'm really looking forward to it coming out. I'll let you know. I'll keep you posted when it is available for sale. It's not yet available for sale, but once it is, I'll definitely let you know. So without further ado, here is Jim Bottomley from Vancouver Island, author of Hypnotizing Lions. Let it rot. Good morning, Jim, and welcome to Dead to Rights. How are you today? I'm doing fine, Don, and it's a pleasure to be on your show, and uh, I'm a big fan, so it's great. It's great. it's great to have you, and thanks for getting up so early on the West Coast. Now, I want to talk to you a little bit about your manuscript called Hypnotizing Lions, which was a finalist for the Arthur Ellis Un Unhanged Arthur Awards, which, for anyone who's not familiar, means that the unpublished manuscript was a finalist for Best Unpublished Manuscript Award. Um and uh, you were telling me a little bit about uh, your mentor, Kathy Astolfo, too, in the CWC mentorship program, and how she helped you along with the manuscript. Uh, when did you begin writing it? Because I know you've had quite a career as a consultant and a speaker, and what made you turn to crime writing? Well, in fact, I, I kind of went at it uh, uh, the other way around in a long time ago, in the sense that, the, yes, I'm a professional speaker, and I've... Uh, been an entrepreneur and a consultant and so on, but uh, it was kind of like, uh, you know, the jobs I had to do because the writing wouldn't work. So I started trying to be the writer. I, in fact, um, had a high-powered job for Quaker Oats, uh, for Puss in Boots and Special Menu in new product development, so launching new products to the grocery trade. Mm -hmm. And I'd always wanted to be a writer. I always thought of being a writer. I can remember looking at books and thinking, wow, it'd be great to, you know, actually have a physical book out there that I wrote and I used to make movies with my uh, friends uh, on Super 8 film, 
and uh, always thought of uh, movies or writing um, uh, novels. And so I took English at uh, university at Western, and uh, I was a little disillusioned because it wasn't so much in those days creative writing. It was more, um, you know, to be a critic and, and to kind of uh, analyze fiction. I wanted to actually write it. And I thought, you know, when I was younger, I had this high-powered job and it was going well. And I thought, you know, if I don't try when I'm young, I, I, maybe I, I'll, I'll never try. So I actually quit my job to be a writer. A lot of people thought I was crazy. And, and in retrospect, maybe I was. Uh, because uh, uh, I uh, entered the SEAL uh, novel, first novel contest. Janet Turnbull used to run it, SEAL Books. And uh, she uh, called me down to Toronto. We had a meeting. She really liked the premise of the story. She thought it was great, but, uh, you know, I was a rookie writer and I needed to learn the craft better. And so she advised me to keep at it. Um, through the Writer in Residence program, that's been really, really helpful for me over time. Uh, Paul Corrington and I uh, got together through that. He uh, saw the screenplay version because I, I've alternated between the screenplay and the novel for this and really mm -hmm. liked it. And then through him, he connected me with um, some Hollywood agents. So ICM, I have the uh, review uh, from them, uh, but from the screenplay. They said it was too complex uh, with two main characters, but they loved the premise, loved the idea. So the idea when I pitch it is think of a prison breakout story, but from a maximum security psychiatric hospital prison. Mm-hmm. It's uh, the patients are breaking out. And in fact, oh. the uh, the main character uh, is uh, uh, a truck driver that had a horrendous accident. He wakes up in a burning fire in his front lawn. Turns out he's missing 44 days of memory and he's charged with a murder he can't remember. So he's sent to a psychiatric uh, hospital for hypnotherapy to try to recover the memories. And uh, this is... Um, uh, I've worked in actually uh, in this kind of a place, which helped inspire me. That was my summer job through university. Um, and uh, in those kind of places, it's like a lion pride. The patients have rankings. He certainly mm -hmm. disrupts the pride rankings, and that's where it comes. Uh, the title comes: hypnotizing lions. Uh, there's a, a woman psychiatrist, uh, uh, Cecily Williams, Dr. Cecily Williams, and she. Uh, 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 does hypnotherapy on Dan Harkness, the main character, and what's revealed is a twisted conspiracy that that actually may mean that he'll have to break out to prove his innocence. Wow, that sounds like a really fantastic story, actually, Jim. I really do like that. Um, and I love complex stories, by the way. Uh, the more complex, the better. One of the, one of the themes that I've always wanted to really explore, especially as a woman writer, it, because this is an arena where men really do excel, and that is being able to get into almost chaos theory with crime writing, where you don't really know what's going to happen next. You step out the door with a plan, but a truck hits the person standing beside you, and from there, the day just progresses with one unforeseen incident after another after another, and... Um, Women aren't, aren't as, well, I'm going to take a lot of flack for saying this, but I don't think women are yet as good at this. And I think it's something I'd love to explore. I'd love to see more female writers explore that kind of thinking because it takes you out of the order, mm -hmm. you know. I, I don't like too much order in what I enjoy watching and reading and, um, you know. Well, if you look, at, you look at popular culture now, and and uh, the example would be Game of Thrones, is that people I think are have been through the, the the less complex stuff and kind of understand story structure and are more 
able to predict where things are going. And I think they want a bit more madness and craziness because yes. the world become more mad and crazy. <laughs> That's right. And Game of Thrones is an excellent example. Um, I just love it. You really cannot know what's going to happen next. And the other thing that I really, I, I, we've been watching a show right now, um, speaking of popular culture, um, we didn't see it when it first came out, but we've been binge watching it and we're very near the final episode it's called uh, boardwalk empire i don't know if you've ever seen it no, um well i won't say too much about it except to say that it does it perpetuates that kind of chaos thinking um but at the same time it tries to tie to actual history so it's constrained a little bit by history in the chaos but you know, truth really is stranger than fiction quite often. So there's a, a lot of chaos in truth. Well, in fact, in, in my novel, the uh, antagonist is a uh, sociopath that doesn't actually commit any violence. He's never done a violent act. He'd never touch you. But what he's a master of is creating delusion that uh, generates violence that he can watch. So he's oh. a delusion spinner. And so the novel plays on the a psychiatric condition called folly ado, which is sharing delusion. And this is the time. Mm -hmm. So I think, uh, you know, despite the long path of getting this ready to go, I think it's uh, probably the appropriate time for it actually to come out. I do too, actually. I think it really is. And it's called Hypnotizing Lions. Now, tell me a little bit about your progression through the publishing industry. Well, as I mentioned, Paul Corrington was a real champion. It was so sad to see him go. Uh, he was a great writer as well, and, and certainly not in the kind of genre I'm talking about. In fact, a theme throughout this, you mentioned, you know, the adding the kind of madness and craziness. I've been told continually through time that I will likely not get this published in Canada because, you know, Canada doesn't do crazy thriller kind of novels like this. You know, it's not really the genre that we're uh, rooted in. Um, so uh, with that in mind, uh, I've kind of uh, with the, the particularly the screenplay side, I rooted more into agents in the U.S. So, uh, as I mentioned, uh, International Creative Management gave me a great review, and and one of the best uh, responses to any writing I had was, "You certainly can write." Was one of their comments. So that was mm -hmm. great. Uh, mm -hmm. They mentioned it being too complex. So I thought, well, you know, if it's too complex for a screenplay, I want to, you know, continue the complexity with both main characters, and I'm going to write the novel that way. So I rewrote the novel took time off to do that again and uh, this is uh, you know where I was a full-time novelist which is a tough uh, gig to yes, make money sure from you know, <laughs> to beg on the sidewalk by reading and getting some money thrown in your hat <laughs> mm -hmm. but, uh, you know I lived in Greece for a summer and you know I had a lot of adventures my wife and I went around the world at one point for a year so it was quite uh, quite exciting times but uh, mm -hmm. coming out of that I had a finished novel and uh, went back to uh, the uh, the agent and ended up with uh, Ken Sherman, the agent uh, out of Hollywood who specializes in books that might be good movies. Mm -hmm. And he actually um, uh, had the coverage uh, provided to me and said, uh, here's what they said about my story, his story coverage people. Um, and, and again, a lot of praise for it. In fact, uh, one of the main characters, you know, the, the whole aspect of, uh, of uh, making cuts, he was... Uh, thought to be a great coming-of-age story. It was kind of my proxy for being a young guy working in the uh, psychiatric hospital. Um, mm -hmm. And now he's, kit, he's, he's cut completely. So I've, 
evolved to a much more oh. yeah in <laughs> fact the review said one of the better coming of age stories we've seen but that that's all gone you know killing your darlings right so yes yes absolutely so, but what what they advised and, and who i worked with is is ken said would you like to work with my uh, editor aviva layton so i said sure i'd be happy to work with anyone and so for two years i worked with aviva and she is actually uh, uh irving layton's wife the mm -hmm. Pope of canada and she lives in la now and uh was very helpful and what she did is advised me to convert it from the third person to the first person so it's yeah. a lot better now because it's the most unreliable narrator a, a, a mental patient you know mm -hmm. so it's kind of like the girl on the train you know she was unreliable because of drinking this this person may or may not be delusional and so the, yeah. the book explores the question do delusions destroy and mm -hmm. one of the heart of this thing is is there could be even a paranormal component and is it real or is it not so yeah. Um, in, in that essence, I, uh, I converted to the first person, but I was kind of naive about it and made mistakes. So, for example, you know, uh, if I said uh, he saw the cat, I converted to I see the cat. Well, you know, you don't need to say I see the cat. The cat's there. Just describe the cat. So yeah, I had yeah. problems with it. There was mistakes is what uh, Ken said. And so he said, no, more work has to be done on that. And so um, I uh, then went back at it again and uh, uh, have had help uh, through the Cook Agency as well. They gave me a great review. Uh, that was after a pitch at Bloody Words in 2014. And um, th there were still issues with it and legitimate issues uh, that mm -hmm. I had to fix. And so, you know, I have no regrets of people turning me down. I always have looked at it that if I can make it better, any advice is great. And usually I don't get the just simple turndowns. I'll get like six pages of this is great. Is the problem. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I've always been enthused by the fact the that quality I, rejections, Jim. The quality rejections, I call those. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I've had a lot of quality rejections, Donna. So you know, and, uh, in any case, uh, what came out of that was, you know, I really have to uh, concentrate on my craft and really learn this writing game better. And so I concentrated on trying to write short stories. And in fact, I moved. My wife and I lived in Jasper, Alberta, for eleven years. And we moved to the west coast of Vancouver Island, where there's a really um, active writers collective here called the Souk Writers Collective. And they've been fabulous because, for example, when I was doing the final uh, edits before submitting it to uh, the Arthur Ellis Award uh, contest, um, I had five different copies uh, that I printed off with people's markings and, and changes. So literally every sentence I could go, well, geez, four people suggested this. This is a question about that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so really helped me uh, round it out. And in the meantime, in the last three years, I've written several short stories. One uh, was um, uh, a finalist for best BC short story in 2018 called Running with Salmon. And uh, I've had three of them published. So I think I've kind of uh, uh, got over the, the, the may maybe the major hurdle of uh, mm -hmm. getting craft down and mm -hmm. certainly feel a lot more comfortable as a writer moving forward to pursue yeah. sequel yeah. and other things I'm working on. You touched on two really important things there, too, because a lot of the people who would listen are, are people who are just getting into the writing industry. And um, so I tend to try and harp a little bit on certain points. And one is um, the conversion to first person. Over the past decade, I would say there's been a real emergence of first person literature and genre. And uh, it's been really good to see. I mean, I happen to love first person. I, I like both. But uh, uh, one caveat for listeners, that first person is not always appropriate. And um, when it's not appropriate, you really shouldn't, you shouldn't employ it 
in manuscripts where it's really not appropriate. Uh, be cautious of that and um, don't just do it because it is a strong trend. It's got to actually work within the manuscript that you are developing. And when you do make a conversion to first person, you really have got to be the camera eye. Um, you know, you can't, as Jim was saying, be overly explanatory of everything you see and hear. It just has to happen around you as the camera eye. Um, because the whole point of first person is to keep it moving, really. Yeah, and the complication for me, Donna, was that I've been converting between screenplays and novels, which are two different things. Mm -hmm. so, you know, I would have a scene where he's sitting on the grass when the when the novel opens and there's a fire in front of him, and it turns out it's his house on fire, and he's just waking up. Well, when I wrote it in the first person, I had, you know, this whole kind of, it's like a camera with him sitting on the lawn. It wasn't the right point of view, right? You had mm -hmm. to... You had to get the point of view directly from him where he's looking down at his legs and he's seeing he's sitting cross-legged and why am I sitting cross-legged on my lawn and oh, my, my pants are wet. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to root to the, to the first person, uh, you know, outlook, which is... Exactly. Uh, you have to be the protagonist. And if you can't be the protagonist, first person is not for you. And uh, not only that, if you cannot cover enough of the action through the first person eye then you have to default back to the omnipresent third person because otherwise you're robbing your readers. Well, you know? it was a very difficult thing for me because it is a very complex plot with lots going on. And, of course, if it's in the first person, only that person could be in the room at any time when things are happening. So That's right. So get the plot points out uh, in things that may be, you know, off camera for the, the main character. Well, then how do you cover those? And so... Yeah, it was a real challenge trying to do that conversion. I don't think at the first I did it well, but certainly, you know, that's part of learning. You have to take your knocks and move forward and try to, to make it better. So, Which is exactly the second point you touched on that I wanted to drive home for listeners, which is that this is a, an, it's an art and it's a craft and it's also a business. And you've got to be the best you can at it. And that means taking some rejection, taking some notes, you know, um, developing your work. And, no, uh, definitely. Yeah. And, you know, I've always looked at it that uh, any feedback is to make this novel better. It's not about my ego. That's not yeah. what you've got to think about. It's about making this work better. And how can we make this this particular piece of art better? Right. So exactly. Exactly. One of the big lessons I had, Donna, was more in the last three years. And this is one, you know, I kind of knock myself for I figure I'm a pretty smart guy. But how did I miss this and not really get it? But uh, when uh, one of the readers uh, here in the Suit Collective, um, Angela Dorsey, who's a great novelist as well, uh, published many. Uh, she was reading uh, uh, some of my submission and she took a passage where in the, the novel, uh, I'll tell you a little bit about the main character to set it up. Uh, the protagonist is a Canadian hockey player who moved to the U.S. Uh, on a hockey scholarship and he's married a, an American woman who's an investigative journalist they met at, uh, at that uh, college. And uh, so he, uh, when he's sent to the uh, psychiatric facility for hypnotherapy, um, and he's charged with the murder of his wife, who he loves dearly, he tells a lot of stories about his wife. Obviously, his focus is he knows he's, he figures he's innocent. He's got to figure out, A, is she really uh, died because um, th there's a body burned in this fire beyond recognition, but they haven't yet been able to determine through DNA uh, who it is. So he's hoping it isn't his wife. And so... That's one of the intrigues in terms of getting hypnotized. But he's a hockey player, um, and he's also a, uh, and he uses his goon skills, by the way, from hockey, and I'm a hockey player as well. 
um, to survive in the in the mental hospital. Uh, but he's also a songwriter, so that's his profession. He's trying to be a songwriter. He ends up as a truck driver because the songwriting didn't work. And I write songs as well. I'm a lyricist. So mm-hmm. many different musicians I've uh, worked on writing songs. I play harmonica, and I really enjoy that aspect of writing as well. And so this is a fellow that writes songs when he's really stressed. So when he's sent to uh, uh, the uh, uh, solitary, he's writing a song of, who could have it worse than me? And he writes a song called Colorblind, which is about uh, someone that's in a war that would have it worse than him. But there's 10 songs in the novel, and we, uh, my band, The Well Spaced Trees, we've uh, created uh, demos of them, and hopefully we'll launch uh, an album at some point of the songs from the novel, which is kind of intriguing. Uh, but uh, in any case, at one point in the novel, he talks about his wife, and he says, you know, uh, in the past... Uh, I'd go camping, uh, take a woman camping, and I'd pull up my guitar around the fire and sing one of my, my original songs. I'd use her name in it, and it would always go really well, you know, in terms of romance. And so I took uh, uh, my wife, Gwen, who became my wife later, you know, on one of our uh, initial dates, and we went camping, and I took out my guitar, and nothing better than playing, you know, uh, music with and singing with, with my wife, Gwen. Well, Angela said to me, Geez, that's really lame, Jim. What do you mean it's lame? Well, you know, that's not, you could sing with anyone around the fire. Why this specific uh, woman uh, draws love from this guy uh, around the singing thing? You got to anchor a story that, you know, covers the emotion without the, you know, kind of uh, telling, you know, you got to show and have the, it's always more interesting for the reader to figure these things out themselves. So how it now reads is, you know, I I pulled up my guitar and I I sang for uh, Gwen around the fire and after the song was over, she said to me, you know, uh, Dan, that's a really uh, great song. But, uh, you know, to me, I think it would be better if you uh, wrote it with a one, four, five note pattern. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, what a reader then determines is, well, obviously, you love her. They're writing songs together. You know, she knows music. Uh, you know, it also speaks to her character, right? So, Well, yeah, you've given her, you've given her personality, you've given her intelligence, and you, you've given her humanity. And, you know, it's just, I, I am so tired of females not having that in fiction, you know, because in real life, we will, we, we will challenge you, you know? Well, you know, I, you know, I, this isn't really the theme here, but I, I, as a professional speaker, I'm a futurist. So, you know, after doing all this new product development, I, how do I make a living? The writing's not going. I, I started doing consulting work and it ended up being strategic planning. I do my plans in a different way and that's evolved into this speaking thing. And at this point, Don, I think I've spoken to 270,000 Canadians. If you add up all the dates over all the years and uh, across every profession, next week is the future of blueberries. So there's 20 countries involved and I'm off to Vancouver to... Uh, spend three days planning the future of blueberry production. So, wow. <laughs> yeah, I find it really interesting. But, uh, you know, in, in all cases, uh, um, with, with the future, if someone asked me, you know, is there one strategy we could do to make this world better? And this is, I'm very solid with this one and uh, very strong on it. If we could only pick one thing to make the world better, that's international empowerment of women. By far, oh, yes. Most important oh, thing. yes. Her. So I'm with the sisters in crime. I'm with crime right and women, and uh, mm-hmm. I think the, the future will be more. Uh, in fact, that's reflected in the novel. So the psychiatrist in the novel is uh, a black woman, and uh, she's trying to keep the lid on all this delusion that the antagonist is creating in the ward. He, he latches on to Dan's uh, hip, hip, 
uh, hypnosis uh, sessions, the story that comes out of that, which is maybe paranormal. And he promotes a great delusion that, uh, that the other patients become inspired by. Uh, the psychiatrist sees that this is uh, a major problem. And in fact, this particular patient, the sociopath, has spun delusions that have caused uh, the loss of life in the past. So she wants to kind of squelch it and try to, uh, to keep it at bay. And so in her office, all of her uh, uh, themes is elephants. She volunteers in uh, Africa in elephant rehab. And she's a real believer in uh, elephant society because it's more matriarch. Uh, society. It's run by wise females, mm -hmm. as opposed to the patients, which have this lion pride thing. And so they're all about lions. And, you know, lions will sniff the, the pee on the border of the other male lion and determine, geez, I think that's sick enough that we can go in and take them out. And we may even eat the babies of the other lion. And, you know, this kind mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. uh, male testosterone driven uh, uh, been living in right so somewhere kind of somewhere in the middle somewhere in the middle of all that you know is harmony somewhere and mm -hmm. being a musician yourself I mean it's all about harmony it's oh. not about it's not about uh demonizing one personality type over another it's just mm. about finding the harmonic balance between the two Definitely, definitely. And, you know, it's an interesting thing because if we look at who have we fought over time, we've only had four economies in the history of uh, the world, hunter-gatherers, and then it's always technology that changed things. That's why so much changes in the air because technology is morphing us into a new economy with all the new uh, the things coming out. So in the hunter-gatherer days, we fought the other tribes. Then we invented tools that till the soil. We uh, ended up in city-states and, we, of course, we fought the other city-states. Then we invented uh, machines driven by energy that, you know, ended up in the industrial age. And uh, we uh, colonized and created nations artificially by cutting across tribal borders and created nations. So we fought the other nations. So if you look at the history of Earth, we've gone from fighting the tribe to fighting the city to fighting the nation. What ne What's next? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I spent a lot of time thinking about that. And really, what should be next is no fighting. Harmony, as you say. It should be, yeah. How do we get to that? Well, you know, what we have to do is we have to recognize we're all in this together, certainly from traveling around the world. And I've traveled fairly extensively in my job as well. People around the world are more the same than different. We're all connected. We all should be more harmonious. There's a lot of delusion that spins off uh, violence and, and problems. And that's being stoked as we speak. Um, but in essence, what do we need to happen? We have to recognize that all people should be respected. Uh, mm -hmm. Perspective of uh, of their uh, gender, of their uh, race, or of their religion, and mm -hmm. that we have to come up with universal code for human values, human rights, for uh, trade, and for the environment. And that's yeah. where we're headed. You know, that's where the United Nations and globalization was headed. And whenever you have a major social trend going one way, you always have a heavy resistance going the other way. And that's the era we're in right now. Yes, you know, yes, exactly. I, and it's either going to get worse or it's going to get better. And yeah. uh, what, what you're talking about, we almost need like a societal braille, something that we all understand. Mm -hmm. um, well, in fact, this novel, by the way, it's uh, definitely a psychological thriller and it's a page turner. I've gone with the James Patterson, you know, kind of average of five pages per chapter with a hook at each to try to mm -hmm. put people through it in this age of, you know, short attention spans. Um, and so it's really, a, you know, I think a, a kind of a, a rousing story and, and a great beach read kind of thing. But in essence, it's a debate on the future of human morality. That's really mm -hmm. what 
It's from the futurist. Well, <laughs> so. I can't wait till it comes out because I'm going to be one of your first readers, definitely. And the other thing too, Jim, when your uh, when your demo comes out, I'd love to hear it. <laughs> yes. Well, our son, our son is a musician. He's uh, in third year at York right now, and he's playing with the. Um, with the Toronto All-Star Big Band, and that's what he's uh, doing this week, and he's got a couple of gigs this week, and they've got, like, multiple gigs every week, so he's just in heaven right now. That's so, awesome. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, I don't think of myself as a great musician, but I, I do really well. I have a, uh, a knack for, you know, matching lyrics to music. So yeah, every yeah. musician I work with, and I've worked with a lot, will have little ditties that they've created, and I'll, I'll sit with them and, you know, play with them. What's that feel? What did you, what inspired you? What emotion came from me? And I can kind of go away and, poof, I get a song comes out. So yeah, yeah. Um, I, I really enjoy that whole aspect. That's a lot of fun for me and, and yeah. certainly great. Well, he loves scoring. He, he loves um, composing and scoring. That's his, that's his ultimate goal, his drive. And he's done some scoring for some fellow students who are in, um, in film and he's loved doing that. That's that's what his real ultimate drive is, more so than just being a musician. So, um, but that's yeah, awesome. yeah, that's, you must be uh, must be real pleasurable to go watch him, uh, listen to him play. It really is. It's a lot of fun. And the other thing that's been really terrific is that we've always had a house full of music. So that's mm -hmm. been really great. You know, our yeah, daughter, yeah. our daughter. Um, studies drums so <laughs> so we've always got something going on now <laughs> oh, she's not great. a performer though she loves to take her drums uh, and play them when nobody's around like that so are thing. you are you into music as well do you play an instrument donovan is that what inspired oh you? god no i would have loved to i think i'm a frustrated musician i remember as a kid begging my parents to put me into piano lessons and all the girls studied piano but we were air force and my mother's argument was we're always moving we're always moving we can't do that so yeah i think there's a frustrated element there now um in 2009 when i came out with my book uh the first excellence which featured um a young chinese canadian adoptee she played the clarinet so i studied clarinet for a couple of years just to try and get a feel for the instrument because it's not something you can fake even the picking it up the cleaning of it the putting it together the sound that it produces is so spiritual. Um, you can't fake it. You have to have some hands-on with it, you know? Mm -hmm. But no, I've never actually gotten to a point where I could even say I'm a pretend musician. <laughs> well, I, I had actually taken music when I was in high school and started out on trumpet uh, and then switched to the French horn because that was the way to get me in the senior band and we had a, an exchange with uh, Germany. So we went and lived with German families in wow. Germany and uh, uh, and I had to be good enough in the band to actually make the band so I could get that trip in. <laughs> but mm -hmm. that, that mm -hmm. was not necessarily my calling, the French horn, I don't think so. But uh, it was a, a lot of fun uh, uh, having the trip, and that really inspired me uh, for for other travel. So I'm yeah, a big yeah. Fan. the arts are a melting pot. I think of the arts as a melting pot. I mean, there's especially as a writer because you can grab from any of the artistic elements, whether it's dance or painting. I've had a character that was a painter, you know, um, and my husband and I just. We love Canadian art. We're really passionate about it. Um, every winter, we used to go from show to show and from showroom to showroom in Toronto. And there's just a lot of great Canadian artists uh, of every genre. And uh, I find that when we go out and look at paintings, I am inspired to write. 
it's, mm. it's just funny the way that crossover between the arts works, you know? Well, the, the story I just uh, had that uh, was celebrated here in BC, The Running with Salmon, is a story that uh, covers the salmon run here on the island. And uh, actually with the local arts groups, we're going to take up uh, a combo of uh, recruiting people with the art that relate to uh, salmon. And of course, this is ecosystem friendly in the sense that so many uh, bears eat salmon. They, they help uh, regenerate the rainforest, the uh, leftover salmon that the bears take uh, out of the rivers. And uh, so we're going to try to create a book of both uh, art and, uh, and writings and poetry and so on that would uh, be uh, a celebration of the salmon and uh, hopefully a fundraiser for salmon restoration. So that's a project that we're working on now here locally. Wow. Wow. That's really something. Yeah. Jim, thank you very much. But before I let you go, I have to ask you, um, is there one thing as a reader that you either love or hate that you would either encourage new writers to uh, project or would discourage them? I'm talking about either a pet peeve when you read without naming any authors, because I'm not about bashing authors. Um, or something that an author that you've read has done that you love that really draws you to them. Mm. Some element uh, of style, you know? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I've tried to make mine really lean and move forward. Uh, to me, uh, I'm not as inclined to uh, enjoy the overly descriptive uh, mm -hmm. works. I, I like to have something moving along that surprises me. If it's uh, kind of a, a plot that I've seen before and it... Uh, it kind of sniffs of uh, predictability. That's usually where I start to to lose interest, particularly if it's heavily descriptive. Now, in other cases, sometimes the description, you know, in certain poetry, and um, I'm working uh, with different poets uh, here and trying to learn that and how it combines and contrasts to, to being a lyricist. Um, but, uh, you know, I think that uh, for me, I need a story. I need something that kind yeah. of I'm a storyteller as a speaker. Uh, I, I have a weird mind in that anyone tells me a story, I'll remember the story. I may forget your name. I may mm -hmm. forget specifics, but I'll be able to say, hey, didn't you tell me this? And I'll tell you the story you told me. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that seems to me I'm attracted to stories. There's a huge gap between poetic writing and overly descriptive writing. They're not the same thing. And I think people make that mistake. I, I'm with you on that. Um, if the writer's character walks into a room and has to describe every stitch in the Chantilly lace drapes, that's way over the pale for me. But there's uh, poetic writing doesn't do that. I don't find like my background always in writing was poetry as well. So I'm, I'm with you on that. There's something in the way when you, when the writer sees in their head, the scene mm -hmm. and can lay it out with something that touches you poetically, that puts you in the place. That's not the same as describing. Oh, definitely. We've been having sessions with Wendy Morton, who's an order of Canada poet here living in Souk and, uh, you know, she's been really helpful in, in teaching me some of the difference between overly descriptive versus poetic description, you know, and mm -hmm. a, big, a big part of it is never use a cliche. And, you know, that's what she's exactly. really, really big on. But, uh, you know, try to say it in a unique way that connects to uh, a bigger picture or a different point or illustrates another idea. And, the, the, you know, I, can, I think poetry brings a complexity that makes it interesting as well. Yeah. And a poetic passage, just a phrase or a word even, can mm. put the reader in the place and mindset of the writer 
without the need for great description. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Whatever. I think, uh, you know, I, I love Bob Dylan as a lyricist. And so yes. the, the little, little phrases he'll use to describe something, and it's never very clear. It's never completely linear. It's always, he always throws in we's and I's and you's into mm-hmm. his, his lyrics because everything's, you know, uh, kind of uh, connected, interconnected. Yes. And so I, I find, uh, you know, very fascinating uh, to, uh, again, I, I don't know, you can learn all your life in the future we'll be learning a living but uh uh you know there's always something to learn about this that's part of the joy of being a writer i think right yes Don? yes absolutely absolutely i agree with you 100 percent on that it's it's and i always have thought too you know people who tell me that they will only write what they know Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, we're not there anymore. We're really not. We <laughs> Google takes away the excuse for that. I mean, we're all about learning. We're all about putting ourselves in different situations, learn it, research it, connect with it, and then express it to your reader, you know, mm-hmm. what, you've, what you have discovered, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the, that uh, the world's open for you to attempt things, and that's what art is about, you know, yep. trying, yep. trying to trying to push the boundaries and, and, and try to connect. So, you know, I don't think you should just be limited to your own world or it could be kind of boring at times. Although I would think. I think my own <laughs> life, I've, I've made decisions that probably say, would this make a better story? Ooh, I'm going to go that route. <laughs> Maybe to my detriment, Donna. <laughs> I think you've had quite a varied life from what I'm hearing. It sounds like well, it uh, would be something worth reading about. <laughs> Well, at one point, uh, going across the states, I lived on the Ogala Indian Reserve, uh, Native Reserve, First Nations Reserve in um, in the U.S. for three days, and and I think I've learned the true story of Custer in that time. <laughs> you know, uh, that would probably be seen as something that wasn't uh, maybe the wisest move at times, given the history there, and certainly uh, that was advised uh, in some of the situations we were in. But uh, it was, you know. Wonderful story. <laughs> well, it's been a real pleasure speaking with you, Jim, and I hope you're going to stay in touch and let me know as you um, move through the publishing process with uh, um, with your book. And uh, tell us again the title. Hypnotizing Lions. Yes, yes. And where do your short stories appear, just so readers can find them? Well, actually, it's Soup Writers Collective. Uh, we're just putting together the website. we printed our own books uh and we've i've been i'm in three of them at this point um and we're going to be putting them online and putting them out in a much more broader way so over time that will happen whenever you whenever you have uh links that you want to share with me please send them on over i would love to see them i would love to see the the anthologies and um and let me know as your work progresses oh great you'll probably hear me scream when i finally get a publishing contract right from the (laughs) vancouver island (laughs) Just so our listeners know, Jim's on the Vancouver Island and I'm in Toronto. So go ahead and Google the distance there. (laughs) I'll hear you, Jim. (laughs) Thank you very much. Stay with me on the line for a second. I'm just going to stop the recording. I want to thank Jim Bottomley for joining us today on Dead to Rights, the podcast. Jim, it was great talking to you and hearing your insights into the entire creative process. I can't wait for your book to come out and uh, also for your demo. Our thanks go out to all the writers who make this program special for new writers and for readers. Also to Ted Carrick for providing the music for this program. If you're interested in joining me on Dead to Rights, 
please let me know. You can contact me anytime at Publishing at rogers.com and simply say Dead to Rights interview in the subject line. Thank you very much for listening and have a great rest of the weekend.